Nuku85 is Mary Brown. Mary is a full-time stay-at-home mama of 10 tamariki, all under 15 years old. She is also a champion for financial literacy. In this episode, we talk about motherhood and the stereotypes that come with raising a large whānau. Mary shares her whakaro on raising the leaders of tomorrow, and she tells us how being a mama has helped her find herself. Whakarongo mai. Kia ora, I'm Kiane. Nuku is a movement. We're empowering Indigenous wahine to be agents of change, cultivating opportunities to shape the world we want. Through this series, we're meeting 100 kick-ass Indigenous wahine doing things differently. They show us how the world can be shaped by our unique Indigenous voice. It's all about who we are and not who we've been told to be. Nuku, mahine, mohine, kiahine. Kia ora te whanau. we are here with um, our next amazing nuku wahine, tēnā koe, Mary Brown. Kia ora. How are Kia you ora. today? Kia ora, thank you. <laughs> Never. <laughs> we, were just, we were just celebrating the fact that you got here on time. Aye. And the reason Aye. why it's such a, a huge feat is because you are a mama Aye. of uh, quite a number of tamariki. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how, what's the count now? How many? Teko. <laughs> Ten. <laughs> Ten tamariki, and I, as a mama of one, I find it hard getting out the door on time. I, so. I totally, um, totally relate. So highly commend the fact that you even got out the door. I, There's no kai on your, on your shirt. <laughs> I had a shower. I had a shower. Didn't brush my hair, but I had a shower. Oh, you know what? It doesn't even matter. Um, I, I'm, I love the fact that you uh, have come to Kōrero with us today because as we were, we were discussing before we hit record, Nuku is all about redefining success mm. and redefining Indigenous women and redefining what we, uh, who and what and how we look up to um, all these people in our communities. And, oh. and we want to celebrate you today and celebrate mamahood, celebrate mothers. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, this mama's, she's, she's had a the last 15 years of, of mamahood. So um, before we start talking about your journey as a mama, I would really love to learn a little bit more about you. Me. So where are you from? Tell us a little bit about who you are. So um, I'll, I'll relate it in, t- in terms of my my key connections through my journey. Um, I hail from Parehauraki, uh, Ngāti Maru, um, through my paternal grandfather um, and also from the Waikato, my two major connections through my maternal grandmother, um, the two key families that really uh, were the driving force of my being, actually. Um, but I'm all, I'm from all over the motu, <laughs> um, right from the top to the bottom, actually. Um, so my whanau are from Tagaville. Um, all, the round, all down through Ngāti Hine, um, Ngāti Kuri, um, yeah, Pōhara, just everywhere, everywhere, ma, all interrelated, all connected, you know, everyone's whānau. Mm. So that's me. What was in a, your, in a shell. What was your childhood like? Um, there was two key factors around my childhood. Um, that I really have thought about prior to meeting you. Um, we had a whānau, and, and mum and dad, siblings, and an extended whānau 
mainly centred in Auckland mm. and in the city for right up until my intermediate life. I didn't really have an idea of um, our extended links because, you know, we were alienated to the city and so there was that disconnect there. Um, but turns out my grandfather got a hold of me one weekend and said, you're coming with me, we're off to Manaya, And I'm like, where? Where are we <laughs> off to? So you're going to meet your whanau. Um, and off we went. And that's pretty much where the journey started. I reconnected with my whanau there. And it really resonated for me as a place of being. Um, but then we had uh, the side of the struggle, being in the city, Māori, poor, financially poor violence. Um, there was that aspect of being exposed to, you know, alcohol um, throughout, you know, on, on, no, on no fault of their own. Um, they were doing, it took me a long time to realise this, you know, that they were doing what, as best as they could, because mm. I, I did, I held a lot of resentment towards, um, you know, a lot of the adults in my life, especially around the kaupapa of violence, family violence. Um, you know, even with mum and dad, there was an aspect there. But um, we were thriving and surviving in the same sense, you know, that whole idea of duality. Mm. You know, it wasn't just about the struggle because then we had the love of mum and dad um, being there, providing for us, you know, even though they had to go through their struggles to do what they um, what they had to do. It did really affect the nucleus of our whānau in terms of violence because we, I struggled with violence my whole life, being aggressive. And so there was those elements, you know, that really were fundamentally established in us in a, um, at an early stage. And those things, as you've just said, become intergenerational. You know, you see it in your life. Absolutely. And you don't necessarily understand at the time how much it has influence over you and your exactly. behaviour and the way you respond to things. Aye. And then as you grow older, that becomes your I default. I didn't even understand what was going on with me, you know. Mm. There was no um, there was no coaching around emotion and, um, you know, that side. It was just mahi, mahi te mahi, keep going, grind, grind, grind do what you got to do and you kind of really do compartmentalise all these other factors that are happening in, in your personal life, mm. especially around, you know, domestic violence. Um, but unfortunately, at the time I was growing up, it was like rife amongst my peers, you know. Some of my peers were coming to school beaten up um, by their parents and it was like, as mumwai as it was, it was almost like the norm. Mm. You know, there was no um, awareness around it in terms of wraparound services or anything like that, and there was really a stigma of, well, you just get on with it. Did your peers talk about the fact that their bruises and their, you know, no. did they talk about that it came from their whanau? Not directly, no. Even but, then, you know, me. just dropping hints, mm. you know, then you get a then you get a little bit of an insight into their personal lives, you know, because we did end up um, physically hanging out with each other and and doing what we did as friends, and so you know they did have little little parts of themselves um, that they were transparent about. But I guess 
a lot of what kept them back was the stigma of shame, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, man, we're not, we're not this, we're not that, we're this, um, but it's not talked about. And it's still not talked about. No, man. Today it's still it's happening. Still not. It's still hidden behind closed Why? doors. Why? Mm. Who does that benefit? You know, that's... I'm a living testimony to um, mental illnesses and, you know, all, all that kind of um, co-papa around the, the consequences of poverty and violence. And I'm not... I, I'm at a place now where I'm not ashamed of that. It's like, it. it's a part of me. Mm. It's a part of me and... I've really just learnt to love, you know, to to not uh, to accept, and um, but what really turned my narrative around for me instead of being resentful and um, you know maybe harbouring some kind of mummy um, towards the main aggressors of those behaviours, those actions. It was it was the realisation well. Actually, I'm operating from what, you know, my understanding is. Therefore, they were too. They, mm. they were just doing what they knew. And, yeah, it, didn't, it wasn't ideal. You know, it didn't, it didn't um, consequently lead to, like, super nurturing connections and, you know, um, especially towards m- mum and dad. There was that disconnect there, but... I took it upon myself to forgive them. Mm. You know, that's they're my parents, and, and regardless of what I didn't agree with, they're still my parents. They gave me life, um, so it's easier for me to be transparent about that part of my life as an adult. And I think what you mentioned is key. They were operating from the place that they knew. Yeah, and now you're able to operate from a place yeah. that you know, and yeah. it does. While it can generationally um, pass on negativity, you know, Aye. down the line and, and those learned behaviours, it can also allow us generationally to look back and go, well, this is what happened here. Aye. Now I know something different. I have the power to change, change. that. Did you ha- do you have siblings? I do. I've got three brothers. Yeah. Are you the only girl? I'm the only girl. <laughs> so that's been an interesting <laughs> dynamic in itself. Well, where in the whanau do you sit amongst your brothers? I'm second eldest. Oh, okay. So, you know, that has had its uh, own key uh, roles in terms of, especially for my younger brothers, yeah, my younger siblings. But hey, uh, I've loved every part of it. And so when you were at a, uh, you know, when you were in your teenage years and you were looking at, you know, the big wide world and yes. where you were going to go in it, what kind of... Uh, what kind of dreams and ambitions did you have? I actually wanted to be a teacher. Did you? Yes, because I had. I recognised early in life that there was a disconnect between, you know, I don't want to lump it into one uh, label, mm. not really into labels, but, you know, there was a reality of the haves and the have-nots and and why, why was this happening before my own experience? So I did. I wanted to be a teacher to... I don't know, encourage, encourage change in others, and especially in, like, the areas of mathematics and science. Yeah. Because I got to high school um, and I was the only Māori in my science and mathematics, um, you know, at at seventh form level. And I had one Pacific Islander girl 
and the rest were um, like Middle Eastern and our Asian brothers and sisters, you know, hands down to them, no calculators, all in the head, but we were. If it wasn't for my uh, Samoan mate, I would have been the one out the back like, What's being said? What's being said? <laughs> so through my own experience of of um, living as a minority, yeah, it did, it did drive me to think, wow, there's a, you know, what am I going to do to help mm. the brothers and sisters? And you furthered that passion, well, that, I, that, yes, that uh, idea, that ideal around maths and science and Aye. went to university to study Aye. until you found music. Well, I felt well, music's already was. Um, I come from two whānau of musicians. Wow. Um, like I said, from my uh, Waikato side, my papa was a musician. Mm-hmm. And also from my uh, dad's side, um, his father was blind, but he was like some hardcore musician. So it was already embedded in us for a long time. And because, you know, we were the kids that grew up in the parties. With the aunties and the uncles, you know, and, yeah. and as unpleasant as some of those scenarios got, it did really cultivate the love of music. So it always been there. Mm. Got to uni, um, went and did maths, you know, on the pretense that, okay, I'm, I'm going to specialise in maths and the sciences. And at that time, my brothers were producing music um, at home. We had built a studio at home. Uh, so, you know, they were doing that. And I was like, okay, I'll take some music papers. Then I thought through the, my first paper, oh, actually I don't want to do science. But I had entered into the whole university scene actually because um, I felt obligated to my parents. Mm. My mum always wanted me to be a lawyer because she's like, baby, you got a mouth, man, you got a mouth. <laughs> you know, you got a mouth, you can, you can speak, you can articulate yourself, be a lawyer. Um, I was like, nah, man, because you know, the, the cousins, <laughs> the cousins would be like, cuz, can you be my lawyer? Because, you know, I had a lot of um, whānau that were in the law, mm-hmm. that were in the law and, you know, going through their own struggles illegally. Um, but there was also the issue of land that was um, written to me early because, like I said, we were alienated by way of. Um, an internal whānau member manipulating um, the situation where my koro ended up with nothing. Mm. And so we, my, my, my dad's dad moved to the city to, to work and turns out all his siblings did the same. Um, yeah, so I just realised music was the one and we had already established that we were going to produce our own music because we're musicians, we play instruments, we sing... Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll come on board with you. And they were designing um, streetwear, streetwear logos, logos at that time because we came up through a heavily hip-hop affiliated culture, being from West Auckland too. And we had decided, oh, let's make our own clothes and sell them. Turns out we just ended up wearing all our own <laughs> You know, products. We didn't make any money. What was the name of the streetwear label? Uh, so we're Parauni Products. Oh, yeah. That's what we call ourselves. And that's a, um, a derivative of my whakapapa, mm-hmm. Pina Brown. Um, yeah. and But that encompassed not only um, streetwear, it was music. It's anything. Anything that we creatively flowed with. 
that's where we were going. So I left uni. Mm. I left uni because I was, I decided, man, it's not for me. And of course, mum and dad were super disappointed. And mum's always still there, babe, go, babe, go finish your, <laughs> finish your mahi. But to be honest, it doesn't resonate with me anymore. Yeah. You know, I've come to a point while it's actually not about just a piece of paper. Her education's and a lived experience too. And our people are so affluent with lived experiences. Mm. And I think for a while there, we got so caught up in the fact that education is having to go to school and having like a specific institute and getting a degree and putting so much pressure on our tamariki and and so much pressure on ourselves to uh, follow this particular pathway that we, for a long time there, lost lost the awareness that actually lived experience is just is just as important, if not more. Yes. And I remember when I was younger, um, feeling the pressure to go to university and get the piece of paper oh. and, and do all of I these also things. I came from a whānau fa- <laughs> of academics. My grandmother was a teacher mm. um, in Manaya, and so a lot of my dargaful Fano are academically, you know, they have qualifications, they've been through uni, and they're doing great mahi. No, no, you know, no um, no ill feeling towards my Fano or brothers mm. and sisters that chose to pursue an academia life, man, hearty as. Um, but like you said, there is that disconnect from live experience lived experience and actually the power of the power of those stories mm. behind the lived experience for you know in terms of being Maori like we talk that's what we do people talk we share stories um, about our life and of course we're inspired by, by each other and I don't know personally for me the more I hear of somebody's life the more I'm inclined to resonate with things that are relatable to me. Mm. From there, you moved uh, into insurance. I And I, I, can, know, right? I still see this kind of financial pathway for you, though, like mathematics and then insurance and then, or business and then insurance. And so we're still going down this pathway, but um, you, you went into insurance and then you fell hapu with your first peepi. I went to insurance because yeah. I needed a job and I needed to make money. Yeah. You know, that was obvious. I couldn't look at, uh, live off nothing. Um, and I loved insurance. They were, it was a great company. I learned heaps there. Um, didn't get on with management, though, so I left and then I went to uh, accounts for a travel, a wholesale travel agent. Oh, yeah. Um, so we supplied all the major airlines and... That was cool. That was cool. It was all about the numbers. So I got really efficient with, you know, data entry and all that. Um, and then I got hapu. I got hapu. How, and, and how long was, ago was that? How it was your- 2006. My <laughs> eldest baby is 15. Um, yeah, so I got hapu with her and I was sickly as. I got, um, it's an illness called hyperemesis. And so it's basically all day, every day. Like, like morning sickness, yeah. Yeah, all day, every day. I know someone who had that. Yes, like, <laughs> there's no break. There's no break. I I was struggling. I was super struggling. And so I decided, um, you know, I'd stay there for as long as I could. And then I left with the intention of going back. But then I fell happy again three months later. 
It's like, oh, no, actually, I'm not coming back. I'm just going to lap this up, be mama. And so, 10 kids later, 2021. <laughs> so over those 15 years, you've, you've had 10 people, which, um, oh, man, I just admire because it's it's been such a struggle for me to even have the one peepee oh. and then to try and get the second peepee. Oh. And so when I see Wahine that have 10 peepee, I'm like, ooh, those fertile oh. ovaries. <laughs> oh, what do you know? Super fertile. <laughs> what? What has it been like to be a mama of 10? Because these are numbers that we don't often see today. You know, a lot of us, um, many of us have the, the 2.5 family, which I don't know how you get the 2.5. What's a 0.5? But you, but many of us have three tamariki or, Aye. you know, not a lot of whanau today have 10. And our grandparents' mm. day, maybe. Yeah, that was the Norman, you know, Koro and Nanny's day. How, how has it been to be a mum of 10? It's been super empowering. Yeah. But in the same instance, um, there has been a level of me putting up my guard because, you know, there's so much judgment. Mm. It's not the norm. Um, you, get, you get all the sideways looks under the suns. You get all the negative connotations like, oh, don't you have a TV or, you know, um, even to the po- a point somebody said to me, are you going to have an abortion? I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, wow. what? You know, I've had that kind of um, shaming mm. um, from my own people even. A lot with people that don't know me. So that's been a bit of a, a challenge to navigate through and and um, find my authenticity and that because I did. I got to a point where I wouldn't disclose that off the bat. I wasn't saying, oh, I'm Mary with 10 kids. Well, you know, a few mm-hmm. years back now, I'm married with however many kids. It'll be like, I'd wait for that conversation to be sparked around Fano. What, what do you what do you do um, before I would actually disclose that to somebody, especially those who didn't know me? So I was super conscious and I was super worried about what, what other people thought about me. But that's an insecurity of mine I've carried through my whole life. And I don't think it's... It's an insecurity or a, um, I don't think that level of judgment is just reserved for someone who has 10 kids. Aye. Because a wahine who doesn't have tamariki. Yes. The same thing happens. Same thing. Why don't you have kids? Yeah. Why? It's, why can't we just be and support and each then, other's... Yeah, and then uh, someone has one. When are you having the next one? You know, there's yes. so much judgment. You should on, have another one. On our bodies... As a yep. wahine, on our choices around tamariki as wahine, there was so much judgment Aye. from society, regardless of what end of the spectrum. Aye. Where you are on the spectrum, there's all sorts of judgments around being a mum, mm-hmm. you know, especially because we, you know, we're formulated in a society that encourages um, independence and, you know, creating this whole this whole nucleus in terms of whānau, um Yes, you know, so I was feeling like the exception, mm. basically. I'm the exception to my peers, you know, because even my my peers were like, woo, mire, again, you know, kawhai, but, yeah, there's been a few, um, a few levels of what it is that it's actually caused me to feel or, you know, um, be 
be in any given moment about mm. oh, I'm there with all these kids. As a as um, a mama of your tamariki, you have also chosen to be a stay at home mama. Why? And that's a that's another thing in society that people sort of go, oh, so you don't work? Yeah. Without realizing a job, <laughs> you've got a job twenty four uh, seven. My job's <laughs> mum. You know, it, yeah, you just like you said, it's twenty four seven. Tell tell me about that choice of being a stay at home mama, and how you know you talk about being a mama as being an empo- being mm. feeling more empowered. Tell me about that. Tell me about the empowerment you get from raising your tamariki and bringing them up with the values that you have the time to share with them because you are home with them. I well, it's all about creating the connection for me, mm. which meant time, you know. And so many times I wasn't willing to trade off my time to go and make money. And I had accepted a long time ago, if I, if I was working on the barebacks of um, having to provide for my family, that would be what it was. But it, I'm not going to, like, stay stagnant in those those ideas, you know, because there's mm. so much potential. There's so much potential. So it was. It was about giving my time to my babies um, and really focusing in on mother, being mother. I, I wanted to be a mum for as long as I can remember. I guess that was from all the strong, you know, wahine in my life who were mums. Mm. They were mothers. They were being mother. The be all, the end all. You know, if mum's not around, life falls to pieces. So it was super empowering that I could give give to these little people and in the hope of creating, of flipping that narrative of what existed in any given moment that didn't serve us as a people, as individuals. You know, I've always been conscious, well, what kind of people am I going to put out in the world, especially as adults? Mm having come across so many walks in life, um, even that's a sense of empowerment in itself, you know, the the characters that you're helping to create and nurture um, and the hope of a better future for not only them, generations to come. So I find the whole intergenerational connection between mothers super amazing. Mm. And this goes back to the beginning of time. You know, when you consider fucker papa, hmm, all goes back to two. And whatever structure you want to, you know, identify with, it really does. That's the nature of fucker papa. Therefore, mother is super important in all in all our in all our being. You know, she she is represented everywhere. Everywhere, every idea possible. But turns out it's a society that has um, untold that story mm. about the importance of mother. When you look at the last 15 years, what have been some of the things you have been able to do with your tamariki or teach your tamariki or activities you've been able to do with your tamariki because of the life that you've built mm. with them? What what are some of the highlights of those last fifteen years? Being in the bush, yeah, yes, reconnecting with Papa Tuanuku, 
you know, um, we grew up in West Auckland, so we had the West Coast to relate to growing up. But when we started going back to our um, our tūturu whenua, there was an opportunity to get bush, get see and acquire some skills around uh, sustainability. Mm. <laughs> Providing food for yourselves. That's awesome. Um, moving, moving even. That's been a big opportunity being a stay-home at mum. I can spend the holidays with them. Just time, time really is freed up being a stay-home at mum, a stay-at-home mum. But I love it. I love the opportunity to get back into the bush, to get away from the city life, that the kids love it. We go back to um, where we're from quite often, or as often as we can, around our obligations in the, in the city. <laughs> but that's been my... One of my key my key achievements is the reinstitution of Fenua and and um, of Fenua and our Marae Iwi Hapu all those all those ideas for my babies who wouldn't necessarily get that in the urban setting of Te Aratu, mm. to be real you know. That's um, the reality, especially living in Te Aratu. I'm not sure if you're aware, it's, there's a massive gentrification of, of our financial levels, um, of what people are earning in, our, in my, in my um, area. So there is the obvious, there is, you can see poverty and you can see wealthy in the same In the same community. In the same sentence. Wow. In the same community. When you look at your tamariki, what differences do you see in them? And I mean, for them, they wouldn't really know any different. They wouldn't. They wouldn't know the mama that was at the nine to five in comparison to the mama that's been there. But what have you seen different in them that maybe you see in others around them who don't have a similar situation? I was just talking to this, uh, talking to my brother about this before we left. Um, one of my sons. So it's the idea around. What they value, mm. and and the and this particular co-papa was about buying a six hundred and fifty dollar pair of Jordans. Oh yeah, because they try. <laughs> My babies try. They try to uh, negotiate those ideas with me, and I'm like, oh, oh, we're cow, cow. But in the same sense, you know, I've got babies that will make them a necklace out of straws, and and my son wore that necklace to the end. And as much as he got ridiculed by even his own cousins and his own whanau about, hey, you're wearing that necklace, he really valued this homemade necklace Mm. and it didn't matter that he didn't have a $650 pair of Jordans. So I feel like that right there is an achievement in terms of what they are grateful for. You know, they might in any given moment feel like, oh, man, we don't get this, we don't get that. Because I don't have things like PlayStations. I decided a long time ago we're not going to have those things in our whare. We have a TV and a laptop. A laptop. Wow. Yeah, a laptop. So that's been um, interesting. time negotiation going on. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, and that's been stressful in itself, but mm. I feel like there is, you know, although they're technically inclined and they are so, they are, that is so their their thing. Too much of it is 
that can be a whole different set of issues, mm. eh? Too much. Um, you, we were talking a little bit earlier about <coughs> your tamariki, and I said, do you have any twins or triplets? Mm. And you were just saying that your babies are twins, and so at the at the home run, well, you may not be finished, but towards the oh, home no, run, yeah, I'm finished. I'm finished. Um, towards the home run, you got manifest. You got a you, lucky ma. double dip. I have got a double dip, <laughs> which then gave you three babies under three. Under three, and I'm. I want to know how you, um, how you manage your world, and this is more so advice because when you know when I'm looking for. Um, when I'm looking for someone who can do a job, when I'm looking for someone who can time manage, who is efficient, who can get mahi done, I look at mothers because yeah, mothers man. can do all of those things because that's what they do in their everyday lives when they're working with their children. Right. And um, there are not, uh, you know, there are, as I said, not a lot of um, mothers who have 10 tamariki. Mm-hmm. And so, and having them at, uh, how old are your twins? Yeah, nearly two, two in September. So two and and then up to 15. 15. How do you manage and juggle your schedules? And more so in a a way that can help some of us who only have one or two tamariki and still struggle to juggle our schedules. I feel like, you know, we're all all (laughs) in our own walks and we all have our our things that we need to be doing. And one kid, one baby, ten babies... um, I was super stressed when I had one baby. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, on the phone. I mum, 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 I'm crying, crying. Um, but in terms of time, yeah, there, there actually has to be a level of flow mm. um, and adaptability, you know. And, and although you have these these expectations of what you want to get done, it's... It, doesn't always happen that way and it is what it is when it doesn't you know maybe I'm going to be late today and that's all good it's okay to be late or you know whatever I'm dealing with in any given time there also needs to be a shared collective of people contributing Um, you know everybody has their role and that really is the dynamic of a big whanau And, and for a long time, I carried the stigma with me around people judging me on that. Oh, you know, is that too much for them? Is it? Is it too much for them? This is what, is, you know, is this what you want me to accept, that they have their role in our whanau? It's like, no, we all have our roles. We all can contribute. So we all need to be contributing. Um, and also to be able to hold space for each other because that doesn't always uh, happen mm. when people want to willingly participate and contribute, especially with the tamariki, you know. There's going to be times when they're having to carry each other and even working through all that emotion. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that gets that, that can be potentially intense when they start uh, comparing themselves to each other. Like, oh but I'm doing this, he's doing that, what are you doing? I did this last Monday, you know, it's like 10 Mondays later. It's like, (laughs) what are you guys up to? So there does need to be a level of adaptability, free flow, freestyle is what I call it. Yeah. Um, But still with a directive, knowing where you need to get to, where you're going, but being open to things not always going to the dock. That's, that's been my mantra, ma. And that's not, that's not easy. 
No. For us, that's why he knew. Carl. Because we're so in to control. let go. <laughs> that's to what let go. Because we, you know, we are. As much as our men like to think that uh, they are. <laughs> uh, no, 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 you know, we're equal, we're equal. Um, mama is central mm. to life in general. And you think about it in terms of giving life to a peepee. Like, that, that's through it through our essence, you know. Yes, of course, you know, our males play their key role, but in, in, in terms of the bigger picture, mama is life-giving. You know, she, she's, she's the living, she's the living water of your, your um, unit. So mm. those, those things, when you're made aware of that, they are empowering. Actually, when you've got your peers talking to you, like, man, sus, you, you like, inspire me with all your babies. And I'm like, really? Do I? You know, super doubting myself. It is. It is empowering as a mama to have other, even non-mamas, regard, regard your work as a mother. Yeah, you're going to be more, more um, content, more mm. content in what it is that you feel is good for you, what works for you. Never mind what works for everybody else. I, of course you have to, you know, take that into regard because you're always, you're always connecting with other people. But at the end of the day, it's what works for you, what works for your babies. Um, don't believe the hype, you know. <laughs> stay off Google, man. Stay off Google, <laughs> Dr. Google. And stay off social media. With social these, media. Um, these, yes, you yes. know, re- remembering... When I talk about staying off social media, it's more so <coughs> staying away from the profiles that glamorise this unsustainable level of motherhood. Unsustainable. Um, that actually isn't the reality, it's what we put online. And we need to remember yes. that what a lot of people put online is the best. And that's not a bad Aye. thing. It's not no, bad it's that not. they just want to put their best out there, but we also don't need to aspire to only see their Aye. best when we can't see because we're only the human, other. eh? At the end mm. of the day, we're human. Um, and don't get me wrong, it hasn't all looked like flow. There's been, like, chaos and, you know, even trauma in some senses because um, the stresses of 10 children is a whole other other co-papa in itself too, especially financially. And I want to ask you about the financial stuff, Um, and I am going to get to that point. I just want to ask you, you know, we live in a world where there is so much difference. Mm. (laughs) And when I talk about difference, I talk about the fact that there is so much going on in our world today. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of positivity. There's the influence of social media. There's... We're still suffering from the effects of colonization. There is the haves and the have-nots, and there, you know, there's so much in this world that we have to contend with, and we're raising children in this world, trying to, uh, as you say, talk about. Um, sorry, as you talk about raising these young children to be the best they can yeah. be and to be these amazing adults. But what is your biggest worry for your children today? Oh, external influences, man. Mm. You know, especially in a what do we call it, normal? I don't know. Um, in a modern-day setting, you know, our babies are outside of our care for a good part of the t- good part of the day, and it's only 24 hours in the day. 
And in terms of time, that's crucial, you know, because I've looked into the sciences of brain development and, you know, they really do break it down into time factors, you know, spending 15 minutes with your babies um, in, in, a di- in a play setting that they direct, you know, and the benefits of, of one-on-one time with our babies. Mm. How can that be achieved when we have to go to mahi, when we have all these other obligations that, that disconnect us from our children, that actually physically take them away from us? Yeah, that's a big um, worry for me is all the other external influences. So, you know, therefore, to counteract that, (laughs) I hope that I can encourage them to be courageous Mm. in who it is that they are. Even if that's not not the majority. Yeah, because sometimes there has been times in life, man, where I feel like I'm singled out and, and I've been, I've caved into the pressure of not, not being authentic about that. I've kept it to myself, which has actually been detrimental for my physical health mm. and my mental health. Um, yeah, it is, it is around the external influence of especially like the institutions on an institutional level, you know, and, and this all relates back to uh, finances too, you know, because as is. As, Raw as it may seem, yeah, there is a hierarchy. There is a hierarchy. There are people at the top that uh, have have these powers of being to implement ideas that don't necessarily fit with us mm. as a collective. When we talk about finances, because that is, um, it's kind of been a bit of a corridor that's interwoven into your whole life when you look at your yeah. your passion for maths and then, as we said, going through the insurances and then um, being a business, you know, business yeah, woman. Right. And you've come to this um, this phase in your life where over the last couple of years you've been learning a lot around financial literacy. Yes. And tell me a bit about what you have learnt in the financial literacy space and what you're wanting to do with that knowledge to support others to grow not only their financial literacy but to actually grow their financial well-being. Why? Because it's all relative. Mm. Well-being, financial well-being. Um, what I've learnt is that the banks aren't our friends. Well, yeah, they're not. The bank isn't my friend. Mm. But there is the benefits of being able to leverage off other people's money, like the banks. I didn't, I didn't know that coming into the, into the space. Like I said, I worked, I couldn't even save. I got to a point where I was able to build up a savings fund. Um, it wouldn't have got me very far. The banks didn't want to know me for a mortgage. But what the key idea was, actually, we're not financial sovereigns. Mm. It is really a structure built around credit and debt. Now, this is how the top financial institutions make their money by forcing the people into debt. So, and that's perpetual right throughout time. Like, you know, we're buying into debt. Why? There's no sense in that. My parents grew the idea around you get a mortgage. Um, you know, you get a mortgage or you get personal loans if you don't have the finances. 
Um, we weren't really educated around savings or anything like that. That was just came off the back of my peers and all those, those kinds of extra people. But it's not really ideal. Why would we want our people to get into debt? It makes no sense. Mm. So fundamentally, it's about financial freedom. And the things that come with financial freedom, I just feel like so many problems would would be obliterated. And it's about bringing that awareness to our people, especially as Māori. Yeah, we're at the lower ends of every statistic possible. Um, but this information isn't general. It isn't general. I had to go and invest in a financial literacy business that I had to pay into mm. for a, Russia, a, a Russian man from Belarus to teach me about financial literacy. Like, what, what's going on there? What's going on there? There's that whole breakdown of the whole economic, um, the eco- economic learnings that I've gained from foreigners as opposed to learning in my own, in my own um, country. Mm. That, that really shakes me, like, oh, that's not okay. So it's about bringing that information to the people without charge because I'm not, I'm not about charging people for things. I, I just want to share. I want to share opportunity, and so I will. I'm transparent as, come and do this. This is what I'm doing. No, I'm not actually telling you come and do this because I can't be a financial <laughs> advisor. You know, there's all the legalities behind that, but mm-hmm. I can show you what I'm doing. And it turns out it works. In the last two and a half years, I've made more currency than I, and, and been able to grow that, to grow that, than I have in my whole working life and a job. And I think when we talk about um, financial literacy, understanding numbers, understanding um, our oblig- like understanding our financial obligations, our tax obligations, and then yes. understanding how that industry works, mm. it's not easy. And especially if you're a creative like me and can't even do your times tables. Um, no, you're right. It's not easy, but it's such good knowledge to have because this is the knowledge that other people in our societies and in our communities have and use to grow their wealth. Yes. And when we talk about growing wealth, and and I just had this conversation in our last podcast, actually, about um, the way that many of us, many of us wahine, many of us indigenous, many of us in lower socioeconomic communities, the way that we view money and the feelings that we associate to money. And there are some sectors of our society that see money as a resource and see money as something that they can grow and see money as the tool to help them and there are others because we've come from such poverty see money as our life force and as our yeah. li- as, you know as the key to our lives but because we see it in that way having money sometimes is a negative you know like you've yes. got this whole relationship with money where if you don't have it it's a negative but then if you have it it's, it's also a negative like we have such yeah. unhealthy relationships it's with a, money you know it's like our experience with Kai too mm. you know, there's that it's that, like that over-consciousness about, oh, there's not enough of it, or I need more of it, you know, that, and, and, and the contributing factors to building those ideas, because let's just say we're in a materialistic world here. Mm-hmm. You know, there is um, the idea of self, self being self-sufficient and, and sustainable, although on the rise, or although, you know, there is an awareness, a growing awareness out there, the majority 
are stuck in these old stigmas about relationships with finances. Hence why it can keep us in a situation of being poor. You know, it, 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 is, um, it does, it perpetuates a relationship of like handouts, mm. you know, always keeping us there with our handout and almost like a tap scenario. Okay, no, no, too much or not enough, you know. And, and that's, that's around um, economics too. But turns out there's a loophole. There's a loophole that me as uh, Mary, uh, Joe Blog, and, and whoever else, there's a, a window where we can capture, because, you know, we need money to live in this mm. society. That's the reality, but it's not the be-all and the end-all. I don't think it was ever, um, that was never the intention. That was never the intention. It's got way out of hand. How how the you know the top three percent of um, wealth is with three percent of people? Mm. Like, that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. So it's something like you know the top the top ten yeah, wealthiest people. Yes. I mean this is this is me making up the statistic, but it's something no, like it's this around, it's that it's like the yes. top ten wealthiest people in the world actually their combined wealth is more than the entire world's so you know wealth like that. So imbalanced. <laughs> It's so imbalanced. You can just, from that one statement there and the power of that statement, it's mm. imbalanced. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. That's, that keeps people in poverty. You know, not just financial poverty. There's, there's, there's all sorts of poverty that come off financial poverty and it all relates back to how we feel mm. internally, you know. And because you talked about that before we started this corridor was, you know, financial poverty mm. leading to you know, spiritual yeah. poverty leading yes. to cultural poverty, leading Aye. to... It's all, it's all interrelated. Mm. These ideas, super, they actually are transferable across the board, you know. It might um, be reflected in one particular way, say like in health or, you know, um, whatever, whatever. But definitely financial poverty is directly related to the poverty of the spirit. So you're mm. going to get things like um, drug, alcohol, you know, alcohol usage, crime, all that stuff comes off from being poor. And there's a few pe- there's a few wahine I mean, that not I've all of it. Yeah, well, know, there's good. a few wahine I've spoken to um, through the Nuku podcast who talk about intergenerational wealth, and mm. that um, that they. Uh, the decisions they make today are so that their children can have money. And sometimes we think of our children having money as a negative thing, but we look at the you know we look at other people in the world whose children have money and the opportunities that they're opened up to. Yes. And um, it's still an uncomfortable conversation for me to personally have because I have such a uncomfortable relationship with money um, and that I always see money as quite a negative thing because I associate money with people and negative behaviours. So that's my own personal thing. No, but it's real. But this this concept of intergenerational wealth um, for Māori is... I don't think it's just, you know, that's not extended just to our immediate bloodlines because Mm. that's not my position either. And... You know, anyone that comes across me, um, I have to be transparent about that. It's not about the gains. It's not about me and mine and making me, setting me up in this position. It actually has to be about giving back to the people. You know, and when you've got money to 
invest in other creatives, it it actually gives you a, 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 a more leveraged position to make change. Mm. You know, um, I don't want to centre it around, oh man, I want to get rich and I want for my babies to have money because even there was the detrimental ideas around um, children being born into into wealth, you know. We've seen the not-so-nice parts of that too. So I needed for my tamariki to still have a work ethic mm-hmm. and, and value value working, working, yeah. as opposed to just silver platters and, yeah, I have this and I have it in this fashion. So some of the keys around financial literacy, and I understand that, um, you know, we have to be really careful about not giving people advice. We're not financial advisors. (laughs) But some of the key key things for people to learn, um, and some of the, maybe I'll just talk about some of the key things I have personally learnt over the last three years. Um, My Tani and I have really um, not become not studied financial literacy, but become more aware of our own financial situation. And even just understanding exactly where your money is going is a huge, uh, is a huge opportunity for you to learn and grow. It is. Where where is that 10 cents going that you had? Because, you know, we we don't really, especially in the world of having a card, (laughs) your postcard, we don't necessarily... No accountability. Yeah, keep track of it. Unless you're consciously taking that, and making that a priority, mm. um, you know, because that's exactly what the financially wealthy people do. They are balancing their books. You know, it's all about um, buying assets, really, buying assets to offset the expenditure as opposed to buying up debt, you know, so it's your money working for you. And the key... The key factor that hit me really hard, but I had been practicing it before I came into the space, um, was paying yourself first, mm. which I had actually calculated at ten percent of everything that was coming in, and so I had already started that. But I didn't know what I was going to do with it. It was just sitting in a bank, making what a dollar every five years or something, <laughs> a dollar every five years. Um, so I had started. I had started that process, but that came off the back of my um, my my faith in God, because God talks about tithing, mm. and so I I thought, okay, yeah, ten percent, I'll give it a go, and I did. I started to build this treasury, and then I got to the point of meeting um, my cousin who introduced me to the whole crypto space. Um, they drilled that in even more about paying yourself first before anything else and everyone else. You pay you pay yourself, whether it be 3%, 10%, and you reinvest that into an asset to make a compounding growth. Um, what I do like is the corridor around uh, being able to self-determine when, you, when you're in a space of wealth, however you achieve mm, that wealth, yeah. or however you achieve your... Um, you know, financial literacy, even if you are just able to get a better understanding of yes, your you own said, cash flow. How are you spending? Um, is, is huge. What I want to ask you is when we look at um, your life experience and we look at your your younger years and the 
the upbringing that you had and, and all of those experiences that came with mm. that. When we look at your experience as a mama mm. and the huge impact that has had on your life, particularly over these 15 years Aye. of um, being home with your tamariki. And then we look at um, you in particular as a mama now still with quite young tamariki. What What is or has been one of your greatest achievements? Man, waking up. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 actually waking up, yeah. I always think that's an achievement. Um, One of my greatest achievements, growing into me, actually, Mm. realigning with my identity and um, who I actually am. Because to be honest, there's been points in my life where that that's um there hasn't been really known. I didn't I was just doing what I was doing. I didn't, you know, and maybe at the time I wasn't understanding of the whys, but more so in these last couple of years, um, yes, really growing into my identity, what works for me, what doesn't work for me, being able to express that and express that respectfully without mm. Drowning someone, you know, or, or feeling like I'm projecting myself onto someone. Yeah, just a, just a, a real gained sense of who I am. Yeah, I love I that. Because so many of us... Because I get lost, especially in mamahood, you know, yeah. your, t- your distractions in life are so many. Um, with the tamariki, you've got all these other... Um, personalities that you're navigating through. So, of course, the time gets taken away from Mm. mum. And I wasn't always about practising, doing what what I wanted to do because I I felt I carried that feeling of guilt. Like, oh, man, you know, I can't can't take away from my whanau, I can't take away from my baby. So I did neglect myself at some points in time, but, oh, no, I got over that pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah. I love that because, yeah, so many yeah. of us lose who we are by being something for everybody else. Yes. You know, you're, some, you're something, something, you're for someone ourselves. for everybody else. Mm-hmm. So you get a little bit neglected along the way. But realigning, realigning is, there's no harm in starting again, man. i got no shame, like resetting, you know, re, refocusing and on things, especially if I feel like something's not working out for me. Mm. When you think of um, your own daughters mm. and when you think of uh, our next generation, what is your hope for the future of Indigenous women? My hope for the future of Indigenous women is that we are our, we are our authentic selves without any kind of burden, you know, without the shame, without the worry. Um, the building up of sisterhood, actually, of sisterhood where we can draw off each other, where we can draw off each other and share, mm. share experiences, you know, because sometimes it feels like, man, I'm the only one in the world going through this. But as soon as somebody caught it, it was like, oh, actually, yeah, yeah, no, we're not, we're not. You know, more more of that, more mm. of being um, open, open about life in general, um, but more so the acceptance too of of um, of loving, of loving the not so 
great experiences of in life and, and how they actually formulate us to progress and move on and provide, provide for our future generations because I always got the future generations in sight, but also to pay homage to those that have walked the, the earth before me. Mm. Um, that whole interconnection and for it to be made aware for our people, our women, and to show love, to show love for women and her role, her role and how imperative it is for for a life-giving experience. We are the bomb. We mm-hmm. actually are. We we are such queens, you know. Who talks like that? Who who I didn't grow up like that. That's an acquired feeling in me, like, man, actually. If it wasn't for my nannies and all those that came before me and if it wasn't for having the foresight of what's to come, and I wouldn't exist. Mm. So why wouldn't I want to why wouldn't I want to uplift myself in order to uplift others? Because mm. there's been a big, big deficiency, especially for our indigenous women, you know. We've gone through the most horrid circumstances in history around um, how we've been treated and how we've been left out. But still, you know, especially in maori mother has always been, you know, papa tuanuku. That's been my, been embedded into me since day dot. So I've got no doubt that we, we carry the, we carry the knowledge to all. Mm. We are understanding, you know, it is ma- ma- woman, woman, she is understanding. She actually is. And I know for sure all my sisters can testify to their, to their relationships with their mothers. And not just mothers, you know, because we've got other, other women that are motherly figures to us. Mm. Um, even on a, sister, on a sister level, that's how I view everyone. You're my sister, you're my brother, you know, on a spiritual, a more of a spiritual realm. So it's the reinstitution of the collective as opposed to just the me and mine. I love that. Yeah. I want to mahi to you and thank you for having a it all with us today Hi. and sharing uh, a bit of just a snippet Hi. into your world. Um, I, I want to celebrate you as a mother. You know, it's not often we celebrate mothers. And as you've just talked about, a foreign experience for me actually being <laughs> celebrated as a mama. You know, it's um, it's one of these things that we need to shift in our society about who, who and what we prioritise, who and how we celebrate, um, what we see as successful, what we see as uh, our idols. And, mm. you know, when I ask um, every nuku wahine, well, not every, but most <laughs> nuku wahine, I'll ask and say, you know, Indigenous women that have inspired you and oh, yeah. they always say they're mothers. And to celebrate you as a mama oh, yeah. and to celebrate um, your wisdom as a mama has been a privilege today. So just want to mahi to you and, and say thank you. Tēnā Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Before you go, did you know we have a nuku shop? We sell nuku kākahu, clothing, whakakai, earrings, and gifts for mama, and we sometimes stock the products of our Nuku 100 wahine. You can check it out at www.nukuwoman.co.nz forward slash hoko. 100% of all profits made in the Nuku store go directly into amplifying the voices of kick-ass indigenous wahine. Check it out today 